find something that brings you joy. It doesn't have to be monetized. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to like advance my business or my bank account. It's, can you truly get immersed in something in flow and just enjoy it for the mere fact of enjoying it? You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. And today we have an extra special treat for you in honor of Women's History Month. We have a special guest. Her name is Stephanie Wong, and she is a licensed clinical psychologist, and she is the host and founder of the Color of Success podcast. And not only that, but she invests in multifamily. She is a good egg investor and so she'll talk about her journey there as well. But in this conversation, we talk about so many important themes, especially as it relates to culture and mental health and destigmatizing that so that people can get the support that they need, especially in the world that we live in today with so many crazy things going on in the world and with so much isolation for a lot of people or so many stressors and triggers with everything that's going on. And so Stephanie talks about her journey and how she experienced a lot of pressure early on in life and then went on to see a path to becoming a psychologist so she, that she could help others and that so she could pay it forward and share her experience and provide the support that others need. And in the episode, I touch a little bit on my personal connection to this world. In fact, I studied psychology in college, and a big part of that was because of my journey with my own mother. My mom has experienced intense anxiety and depression and OCD over the years, and being by her side through that has had a huge impact on me. I was born in China, and of course, my mom grew up and, and lived most of her life in China, and these types of mental health issues they don't just appear. They're hints of it and little bits of it throughout life. And so she experienced a lot of it, even from an early age. But as Stephanie will talk about on the podcast, a lot of times, especially in cultures where that's not so much accepted, a lot of people just brush that under the rug, which is exactly what happened with my mom. And so it wasn't really until recent years that she was able to seek the help that she needed. And just being alongside her for that journey has been so inspirational to watch her come into her own. And so I urge any of you, if you or someone you know needs a little bit of support or is struggling, uh, I encourage you to reach out. Reach out to Stephanie or reach out to Stephanie talks about in the podcast. Reach out to people in the community you're already a part of and see if they can help point you in the right direction. Because honestly, we're all struggling on some level or other. We've all got things we're working on and we could all use a little bit more support and a little bit of help. And so in this conversation, we talk about all of that and more. And so before we dive in though, real quick, Stephanie talks about her journey to finding real estate syndications and to investing. And so she talks a lot about education as a big part of that. And 
and how you shouldn't invest in anything that you don't understand. And so as our effort to help you understand the crazy world of real estate syndications, we've put out our book, which is called Investing for Good. And we have a free hardcover copy for each and every one of you. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book to learn more and to get your copy. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Stephanie Wong. Stephanie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Annie and Julie, for having me. I feel like I've made it because I get to sit down with you guys. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, first, I want to say happy Women's History Month. Same to you. As you know, it's been our mission and vision here at Good Egg Investments to help as many people as possible, particularly women and moms, to learn about and invest in real estate, which is why we're so excited to have you here and to dive into your story today. Now, Stephanie, I know that a big passion and a big mission of yours is to help destigmatize mental health, particularly among Asian and ethnic minority communities. And this is something that's actually really near and dear to my heart as well as my mom has suffered from anxiety, depression, and really intense OCD over the years. And I've learned so much by going to therapy with her. And I think it's such an inspiration when people, you know, particularly those in minority communities, communities really open up and seek the help they need and take that journey toward mental health. So start there. Tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a clinical psychologist and really what has led you down this path. Well, we're all in the Bay Area. And so you might know a school called Lowell High School. And it was, I guess, was, I would say was because there's a lot of stuff going on, but it was majority Asian, Asian American. And I noticed that the majority were high achievers and they were trying to get into UC Berkeley, which was an extension of Lowell High School. And I mean, I didn't go there. I went to UC Santa Cruz. So I guess like I was considered on the lower tier of life, (laughs) but I'm fine. I made it on this show. You're such an underachiever. I know, right? (laughs) No, I hadn't a great experience there. And I feel like that was the start of my life by design because I knew that I needed an environment that wasn't highly pressurized and I could still excel in. And so I was able to get all the things that I needed in life to be a great clinical psychologist in terms of getting the coursework, getting the research, et cetera. But what I noticed at in high school is that a lot of folks weren't really talking about mental health. We did unfortunately have a student that was younger than us commit suicide And it was actually a friend's brother. And so I think it was really shocking to people. It was really difficult to process. But the next day, it was like business as usual. There was no counseling offered, no psychological first aid that we have today. And so I was like, wow, we really need Asian American therapists, psychologists to get in the field, help out because there is an unspoken trust to see your face reflected in a field where you are truly a minority. It must have been such an impactful and just, um, I don't even know that such a life-changing moment when you saw something hit so close to home, your friend's sibling. I mean, 
Oh my goodness. So what happened after that? Did you and your friends sort of rally around? Did you help each other? You said it was business as usual, but I'm sure it it seems like something inside you was like, this doesn't seem right. Absolutely. And so I was one of the lucky folks in terms of declaring pre-psychology as my major and actually liking it and following through with it. And so UC Santa Cruz, I can't speak highly enough about the institution because it really gave me the opportunity to dive deeper into my interests and knowing that I had an important mission and to give back to the community and really help those around me. By default, I became kind of a a pseudo psychologist throughout my life, even before I had my doctorate, right? It's like people knew I was interested in it. I can be empathic and listen to people. And so they would ask me advice. They still do. And now I have to set boundaries and I say, okay, here are some resources. I've created these resources. There's tons of people in the field that have amazing things that they're putting out. The and part is now it is being able to encourage other ethnic minorities to really get into the field and stick with it. That representation and seeing your own face reflected in that community, I think is such a big part of it because I think you're right. Mental health within these ethnic minority communities is still so stigmatized and there's so much cultural background that comes with it and so much baggage that comes with it that someone like yourself stepping out into the field and offering that as a resource, I think it's such an inspiration, such a great resource for people. Okay, so you went to Lowell High School. You It seems like it was a high pressure cooker situation. And then you went to UC Santa Cruz and you became a psychologist. And so then what was your vision for your career and your path? I never knew that I would go into podcasting. I mean, that wasn't even a thing, right? (laughs) We can all go back like 10, 20 years, and that's not what was on our radar. I literally went to Virginia. My husband and I met at Lowell. We're high school sweethearts. So we've been together for over 20 years, not an overachiever in school. So it was a jock. I was a nerd. It, It works out really well in life. But we moved to Virginia, packed up, went, got my doctorate and came back here. And pretty much we were white knuckling it, like, or at least I was like pushing through to get finished. And then you realize, wow, now it's time to be an adult and be responsible with my own license seeing patients. So I've actually worked at with veterans for over 10 years. And so it has been really the population that I've dedicated my life to in terms of helping with substance abuse treatment, PTSD, mood disorders, et cetera. And so that was really my specialty and is my specialty. And now I have a private practice for the past four plus five years. Oh my God, no, six years. (laughs) What year are we in? It was just the anniversary, right? We're seeing tech professionals. And fortunately, there's a lot of Asian Americans that have sought treatment with those benefits. And so I'm able to have a nice balance of people that are seemingly high functioning. I say seemingly because I think there's a spectrum of issues that everyone deals with, stress, anxiety. They may have had traumatic backgrounds. Like you mentioned your mom, OCD, like that's not really talked about. What is OCD? People are thinking, well, they're just worried about stuff. That's kind of the Asian way. You worry about money. You worry about this. Like there's something in many families. It's like, there's always something to like fix or complain about or whatever. But 
there is a cultural piece that there's an understanding there, cultural humility that we really want to bring to the table when we're working with individuals, but also their families. You're so right. And and so I'm curious, at least over the last few years, have you seen a shift or a change? Have you seen more people coming forth to seek treatment? Absolutely. I feel like most of us can't meet the demand, which is pretty sad. And that's why I think the podcast has continued for me and the team, because we recognize that I can't see everyone one-on-one or in a couple people in a group, right? There needs to be other resources that people can access before or during their treatment and really educating people on the different ways to find a therapist and what is a good fit. Similar to your medical doctor, OBGYN, it's a very personal experience. And some people will go to a therapist and say, you know, it didn't work out for me, but I really encourage people to shop around because it really does come down to, do you vibe with that person? And can you be vulnerable in the room? I have a question. So I know that for a lot of people, when they're looking for a therapist, and these days it's changed because now there's all kinds of different online sources where you can, it's kind of like a matchmaking site, I guess you can go on and like find them or whatever. But traditionally, when you go on to your, first of all, a lot of therapists don't take insurance. And I don't know if that's a money thing or like what that has to do with. So that's the first thing. And then it becomes very difficult, even when they are in network, it becomes very difficult to find anyone who's accepting new patients. Like you said, there's this high demand and it's been like that for years, as far as I can remember. So where do people go? Like if there's somebody listening right now and they're like, you know what? through COVID, through watching multiple children, juggling my job, juggling all this, not being able to see friends and family. And I want to find a therapist and I want to shop around, but I don't know where to go because I've looked at all these different places. How do people find therapists these days like you? Where do they go? Well, to your first question, I can only speak for myself, but I think provider value is really important. And I know that finances are difficult in terms of the fee. However, it's really difficult on the provider side to get less than half of their normal fee when they're working on these insurance panels. So it feels like, wow, the demand is there and people will pay the fee. And honestly, the people that do pay the fee are more motivated (laughs) because they're like, I'm spending the money I'm going to make this appointment and not pay the cancellation fee and do the work so I can really move forward in my life. In terms of the second question, I think reaching out to people in the community that really have the resources. So I asked the question, if you were to refer your family member to someone, who would you refer to? So I have a coveted list of people in my own spreadsheet that I would send to others in my family or my friends. The other part is there's these great communities that the providers may know of. We're also a part of listservs that really could put it out there. Hey, do you have someone who takes Medicare or sliding fees? And while providers and myself like do worry about being fairly compensated, especially in the Bay Area, there's also a lot of resources out there for Asian Americans. Like in the Bay Area, there's RAMS where there's people who speak various languages, and also it's a sliding scale, right? So people don't really know about those, but if you have like a plugin 
to reach out and say, hey, do you know anyone with openings? Do you trust this person? It's great because every provider typically keeps their own list. And I know there needs to be a centralized place, but now it's very saturated. And you're right. It's like a matchmaking service and a speed dating thing. And I'm like, I don't know how I personally feel about that because it is a really awkward thing to me anyways. Yeah. One thing that you said that I think is really interesting, and it's so true, whether I think in this setting, in a therapy setting, or even in any kind of a coaching setting as well, be able to do the work, right? This isn't a magic pill. And people have to understand that, hey, yes, you're going to help them, but they've got to do a little bit of the work as well. And I think it's so true too. We see that in our coaching business too. If we gave it all away for free, no one would move the needle, right? Which is why we charge. And when you charge, it suddenly becomes very important to people because they're invested financially. And so I think it's a good point. So it sounds like it's still very difficult. There isn't one place to be able to go, like a trusted place that you can go to find access to good therapists, but maybe seeking out different groups or looking online or Facebook groups, maybe even. I know that there's a, I don't know if you're a part of this, but there's a Facebook group online for Asian moms and maybe going somewhere like that. I don't know. Are you a part of that Facebook group? Are you familiar with that one? I'm not part of that group. I'm part of quite a few groups. I know there's difficulty is too, like people don't want to come off as too spammy or they don't allow people to post things. And so that's a difficulty in in that as well. But I think to go back to that question of like, look at what your company offers or your organization first, Mm -hmm. it may be insurance. It may be, you will have to put aside some money in flex spending. And that's what I did an episode on is like, there are creative ways to be able to pay the fee to get the high quality provider that obviously doesn't accept insurance. Like maybe your insurance does cover out of network benefits and you can combine that with flex spending. But I think, like you said, if you charge a fee, it thins out the herd as to who really wants to do the work. And again, I think there are some central places that I really trust and refer people to. And so those communities, depending on what people want, I wish there could be a centralized place. There's not a great answer, but I would go to your company first because a lot of the tech companies have signed up with the company I've been contracting with for many years and they pay us. Well, I started early when they're a baby company, but now they're huge. They paid me my full fee. And I was like, this is too good to be true, but it's a different model. They work with these big tech companies to foot the bill and people are engaged because they get to choose providers that are paid well and are willing to be a part of that network. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's obvious too that these companies are prioritizing mental health, right? And I think that that is so important because I think it's like we started off saying, right? Like this is something that is often overlooked and often people are told to just get over it or you'll be fine or these little phrases that people use when really it's not okay. And I think it's become something that's more talked about. I feel like today, I don't know, what is your stance on that? Do you feel like it's 
this mental health is definitely still, I mean, we still have a long way to go, but do you feel like it's something that's more, I don't know, talked about, especially in the younger grades too. I was actually surprised in my daughter's school in kindergarten, they have somebody who comes by and talks about mental health and what it means to have emotions and what do we do with emotions. And I'm certainly more in tune with that now as an adult and then relay that to my children. But what is your perspective? perspective on that in terms of like, are we still a long ways away or are we getting better? What are your thoughts? Personally, I think we're getting better. My children as well get, they have meditation time in school. It's a public school, so which is great. And they invited me to talk about the podcast and like mental health. What's really funny is I was like, how do you deal with stress? And one kid was like, oh, my mom does retail therapy. (laughs) This was when we had Zoom school, right? So she was in the background, we're friends. And so we were laughing, but I think kids really pick up on that. And just to really have an open conversation about how they're feeling and what is going on, because it's a very bizarre time to go to school, worry about COVID, get tested every week if they are in person. And there's a lot going on. It's what they know. And at the same time, there is still an anxiety. The good news is we're intervening early and having prevention. Mm -hmm. So people have the tools and people can spot and be welcoming to their friends and know more about bullying because that's a huge one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this is about having the tools that you need. I know, certainly when I was growing up, and even when my mom was growing up, definitely no one had the tools. No one knew to even use the word tool to help yourself with mental health. It was just like a thing that, that especially in Asian communities, I think in Asian households. So that's kind of my next question is, how do you think You mentioned earlier that when you sit down in a therapy session, that it's nice to see a similar face staring back at you in a session. What are some of the things that are important when it comes to to cultural or backgrounds that matter and make it? Why is it nice to see a familiar face of a similar background? What does that matter and what types of things might come up in conversation that relate to different cultures or backgrounds? Yeah. And I don't necessarily think you have to be the same cultural background. However, I think Again, there's some comfort there. And it's really about finding a therapist that has cultural humility and and competence. Have they worked with clients from diverse backgrounds and been able to be more inquisitive about how these values really impact people's presentation and people's way of parenting or money? And I think those are all factors that I explore in treatment of maybe even doing a cultural genogram, which is like a souped up family tree. You have the family tree, but you have a narrative of like, what are sources of shame and guilt? How do you feel about achievement? What is the cultural historical context in which your family immigrated here? Those are all very important things that not all therapists may address. We'll get back to our conversation with Stephanie in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. 
We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Stephanie Wong. So true. And it impacts so much of the way that we experience our day-to-day life. It's wild. And traditional therapy, that question hardly ever comes up. It's like, what are you dealing with? What's on your mind? What happened in your childhood? But never really does those questions specifically that you ask that can have such a huge impact ever come up. So I love that, that you brought that up. I'm curious, through COVID, there's been a lot of problems, obviously, with, in <laughs> mental health. Um, what are some of the things that you see people struggling with? I know personally, for me, one of the things that I've been struggling with is, and this, it all goes back to loss, loss of connection, loss of seeing people in person, loss of travel, loss, all, a lot of like, people are experiencing a lot of loss. So what are some of the things that you've seen maybe in your conversations, if you're open to talking about that, and how are you helping folks to deal with these problems that folks are dealing I know, I feel like we're kind of coming out of COVID. I don't know. I don't want to jinx it and say that we are. Fingers crossed, I think we are. But if anyone is still kind of going through a lot of these things and feelings of loss, and maybe even like actually having lost a family member or a friend, a lot of loss, like what are some of the things you're hearing and what are the tips and advice? that you're doing? Well, you hit the nail on the head. Isolation is huge, especially if you live alone, right? There's a double-edged sword because a lot of folks that don't live with other people aren't have elderly family members or children. They are taking more risks in terms of going and traveling to different places and maybe going to events and things like that, which is totally fine and it's up to them. But I think isolation is huge, lack of social connection, anxiety about just contracting the disease or their elderly or children contracting disease, like before children's five to 11 could get a vaccine. Right. And it's a little scary, even as a parent to say this mass mandate may end in mid-March. And what is that really going to mean? Because the efficacy rates for the vaccine have dropped. Right. So I think there's an over arching layer of anxiety that's happening across the world. And then not to mention current events, I'm not even going to go there, but and the socio-political stuff. But I think having conversations about how people are feeling, identifying the anxiety and depression 
that it's normalizing it too. It's not that you have a full-blown psychological disorder. It's that people are struggling in general and it's okay to really say that and talk to people. Social connection is so, so important. I mean, I'm an extrovert introvert and my house is wild. It's insane that the dogs aren't scratching at the door right now. Like I have three dogs, two kids, mom, like I'm the quietest one. And clearly I'm not like shy. So <laughs> there's not really much downtime to really even have alone time. But I imagine that if you didn't come home to that or didn't have that community, that it would be really, really difficult to weather some of these more activating events in your day to day. I think even having having that chaos though can be a lot too. I know it has yeah. been for me and prioritizing that intention behind taking time for yourself, even if it's like five minutes locking yourself in the bathroom and like being like, I'm busy, don't bother me and throwing your AirPods on and hitting those noise cancellations and just being for five minutes like does wonders. I know like that's the go-to is hiding in the bathroom. Unfortunately, that doesn't work for us because we're so open, but I karaoke almost every day. And I'm like, they know like you can either join or you don't have to, but you're going to hear it. And fortunately it's all good with everybody and they get into it or they realize that's mom time and we all have our own thing. And so I really encourage people to have hobbies. That's the big intervention. I say, get a hobby. It's almost like the go-to, like get a life. But I'm really saying is like, find something that brings you joy. It doesn't have to be monetized. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to like advance my business or my bank account. It's, can you truly get immersed in something in flow and in just enjoy it for the mere fact of enjoying it. That's so much of what we talk about. And what we want to enable people to do is to find that passion, pursue their passion projects. Because we believe when more people do that, it's going to make the world a better place. I want to dig in a little bit too. You mentioned all this chaos, right? You've got all these people and animals in your house. And then you've also <laughs> got strong demand at work. It sounds like there's probably more people who want to see you and work with you than you probably have time for. So, And you've got a podcast. And so you've got a lot going on, but I also know that in the background, you've got some streams of passive income going. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I found Good Egg Investments when you guys were first launching on the Asian Hustle Network. And there's a whole bunch of investors in the group. And obviously crypto is the buzz right now, right? It's like NFTs, crypto, so my investment strategy, and I'm not endorsing it to anybody else, but this is how I invest, is I have to also trust the leadership. There are a lot of companies out there, I won't name names, that they're doing really, really well on a global scale, but maybe the characteristics that the leadership put out there or the behaviors don't really align with my values. And so when I learned about Good Egg Investments, one, many Asian Americans love free. So I took the free masterclass, okay? I'm telling you, this is a good marketing strategy that you guys are doing. I took the free class and I wanted to know more. I'm really big on females, especially Asian American females, having in a journey of financial literacy. You're always learning something, but it's very empowering. I have two daughters. And so 
I want them to be able to manage money with or without a partner, but have their own. And it's really comes down to social capital, which isn't necessarily taught in schools. It's more like, and especially in more traditional families, it's like work really hard, put it in a savings account, have some liquidity, right? And so after I took the masterclass, the book came out, I got the book, paid for the shipping, got the book, read the book real fast to like get more understanding. But it was really trusting you guys, even though I've never met you, but you were building something and you were moms and decided to get together and really take on this endeavor. And it seemed very understandable, readable. There's a lot of terms that can be very confusing for people, but for me anyways, like it was very well laid out. And of course, mint and gold are my favorite colors. So it was mint. So that didn't hurt either. (laughs) I think what you're describing there, right, is almost like it mirrors what a lot of people see as the walls to getting to seeking help in mental health as well, right? They see it as a world, a black box that they don't know how to break into. And I think that's the challenge we saw with the real estate syndication world too, when at least when we first got in was that people didn't know where to turn. People had all these terms that they couldn't understand. They were intimidated by it. They didn't see themselves in that space and they didn't have any trust with anyone in that space. So I'm so glad to hear that you were able to find some of those resources through what we were offering. You were talking about joy and find a hobby, right? This was Julie's and my hobby. This was what we did for fun on the side. And get that money, ladies, get that money. Right. That's right. We found tremendous joy through it. And through that, we saw the opportunity to inspire others, other women, and to bring them into this space. So to hear that from you, to hear your story and how you found us and how we were able to help you on your journey means everything. It means everything. You don't know how much you've impacted my life. And People, again, when you spout all these things to your family, like, what the heck are you talking about? They're always skeptical, right? And it's good to have a healthy skepticism nowadays. But you sent out a bingo board. I'll just tell you how much you've impacted me. You sent out a bingo board and mine is way not as nice, but I have a bingo board for this year. It's more like my goals this year is to have less goals, which is funny. It's contradictory, but, and I put my BTS stickers when I complete a goal, it's a great strategy in terms of like, even if it's financial goals, right? Like making one investment this year or one investment a month and learning something very small. Like I didn't really delve deep into crypto because I thought it was a scam (laughs) for so long. And my goal this year was to just really educate myself. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to put any money into anything, but can I make informed decisions about where my money goes at when I'm ready. Yeah, that's so good. If there was one takeaway from when I was first getting into this space of what I feel like I did a lot of things wrong, but one of the big things I did right, I feel like was I spent a lot of time educating myself leading up to making my first investment. My rule is you never invest in something you don't understand, right? And so as women, 
Yeah. And it's like, as women, I think we often try to rely on others. Maybe it's a man, maybe it's your mom, your parents, brother, sister, aunt, uncle to guide us and lead the way sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And I think that we as women need to really step up and take control and own this as our responsibility to self-educate and to get out there and consume that information, which is why at Good Egg, it has always been such a huge huge priority to educate. When I first met Annie, my education stuff on my blog was like one blog because I'm, this is just not my strong suit. When I met Annie, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm like on a month long spring right now to record like a ton of podcast or not podcast, but video content. I was like, oh my gosh, like imagine the impact we could have, right? If more women could understand what it is they're getting into. So I love that you, I love that you brought that up real quick. I'm curious. So you've invested in multifamily. Did you invest in crypto or no? No, I would say not yet. I have traditional 401ks, all that kind of stuff. But this was kind of one of those things that I took a risk on, right? And I'm fairly young. I mean, people think I'm younger than I actually look, but my pipe dream is like, oh, I'm going to retire by 40. Probably not going to happen in the Bay Area, but I still like to throw it out there in the universe. But obviously stocks and things like that. And I still use the same strategy for stocks if I'm picking them. It's do I vibe with the values? Like while everyone can kind of talk about the pros and cons of each company, like I read about the founders. I look at the overall vision. If a vision is to make people happy, I mean, it's hard. It's still a business, but that's still a cool value to continue to do. And are they hiring and truly walking the walk in terms of diversity, putting out content that show our faces? Like that means a lot to me. Yeah. We always say it's never about the deal or the investment. All of the investments are just vehicles, right? And what it boils down to is the leadership. And I love that you've brought that up now a couple of times because when I first got into the space, that was one of my guiding stars was just really getting to know the people who were leading the investments. And their overall philosophy was not necessarily even on investing, that was part of it, but on life as well. And I took so much time to familiarize myself with the people that I was investing with, whether it was reading their blog posts, listening to them on podcasts, reading their books. And you get a feel for somebody when you listen to that stuff day in and day out and read everything, you kind of get a sense of people. I think that's really important that you brought that up. So maybe sometime soon you might invest in crypto or no? (laughs) Maybe. I think it's one of the things is like the complication of it, right? Because they're all everyone's saying, oh, maybe you should have two different computers and stuff like that. I mean, there's the pro of like, there's no regulation by government, but then the con is there's no regulation by government. So FDIC insurance and all that. And given the way the world is working, like who knows, although everyone has different views on things and some people you have to really, you guys know, like just be comfortable and invest in relation to your risk level. And for someone who's going to retire tomorrow, like, yeah, you're not going to like put all your money into crypto. Like that's just not smart. And so, and some people are just like, I don't want to learn that. I'm just going to stick with stocks and bonds. That's my life. That's cool. But I'm really into learning more and figuring out how to build generational wealth because my background is my father throughout his entire career as a grocer 
And my mom is a waitress and a cashier, or we made her stop doing the waitressing thing. Well, (laughs) COVID made her stop. And then we're like, why would you want to go back to that? You're going to retire soon. But that's my background. And we didn't talk about money. In fact, it's a taboo topic to say how much you make, how much you have in the bank. I mean, my husband didn't even know his quote unquote social class until he had to fill up like a FAFSA. And it was like, what? You guys were living like I can't afford to get X, Y, Z, but you guys don't want me to do this form or whatever. So very different backgrounds, right? I had to fill out FAFSA. I was on full scholarships and grants going into college, but I think it made me stronger to not just sit on my butt and say, things are going to be taken care of for me. And he's totally not like that too. He's like a hustler in his own thing. In fact, taxes are very complicated for me. Now I have to sit down because we have so many side hustles going on and I'm just like <laughs> 1099s out of the, you know, whatever. So it's all about education and I refuse to pay. I know I need to at some point, but I refuse to pay someone to like, just type in the numbers for me. I want to know where are these deductions coming from? How can I maximize my income and our income and give my girls the best chance possible? Mm -hmm. I love that you brought that up in terms of the taxes because I'm the worst at it and I hate it. It's like the bane of my existence. I get tax headaches all the time. (laughs) I hate it. I just saying the word, just like, I hate it, but it's (laughs) it's like necessary evil. Right. And it's interesting because I met someone last year and we were talking about taxes and I was like, who does your taxes? And she's like, well, I have this guy, but she's like, what I've learned is you can never trust no matter who you're working with, you no CPA or accountant or whatever is ever going to be perfect and have all the answers. Right. Right. And she's like, I take it upon myself to do the research She's Asian woman now, right? Just like us. And I was like, wow. I was like, you are my idol. I love that. And I was like, I need to do that. And so in the last year, I really tried to make a little bit more of an effort to, I still don't enjoy it, but to learn a little bit more for myself to really understand it, right? Because if I don't understand it, I'm going to be missing things. And so I love that you brought that up. When I started my private practice, I checked out a book from the library on taxes Uh because I think of it very differently. Yes, taxes are really boring. It really sucks to put it in yourself and things like that. But I think about, well, I like making money. So, and I like (laughs) keeping my money. So I reframe my mind to say, this is like you said, a necessary evil. And I get to be in, have some sense of control over that. Yeah. I love it. Like when you're playing a board game, the taxes are the rules. And if you can understand the rules better than anybody else, then you can play the game better than anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, real quick, before we move on to the last part of our show, you mentioned that you and your husband have a bunch of side hustles. And because this show, we're always talking about side hustles and different things that we can do. Tell us what are some of the things you guys are into? Well, I mean, he does the DoorDash thing as a hobby. When he's waiting for the girls at Kumon, he's like delivering some food or like medicines to people that they want. He actually has a pretty substantial TikTok following with my mom. It's really pulling pranks on my mom. So she's like TikTok's grandma. I'll send you guys on the side, like the funny one. Yeah. That went viral. But those are his things. And some a lot of like buying and reselling things in the past to really get us through when you're a broke college and grad student, right? Is like finding good deals, doing the research. But again, I think it's really important to do things that you like doing, not just about making money. Like obviously 
people have to rely on some of these side hustles as their full-time gig and it can be huge burnout. So I think we really need to pace ourselves. Again, I say side hustle, but the podcast really is just giving back to the community. The goal is not to like be rich or anything like that. It's can we have meaningful conversations with people to destigmatize some of the things that other people are struggling with too. Like the next episode is on postpartum depression. It's like, how many Asian American women talk about that and feel so much shame about that? And it's such a huge part of our lives to be mothers and balance you both. I'm preaching in the choir, but having to pump milk. It's like, I shared this story on our podcast, but running around between meetings and trying to put milk in with cups and stuff. And someone's like, you're just going to put your business out like that. I'm like, heck yeah, I got to (laughs) go. And I need to put this (laughs) milk in the fridge. (laughs) So I feel like after I gave birth, I'm more open about those things and I'm not willing to kind of compromise what the reality is. Yeah. I love that. I still remember one time five years ago when I went to, I don't know if you guys have been to the AT&T park, it's now the Oracle park, I think. And my son was one month old and I took him to the park and we were with one of my other two daughters. There was not a single place there to nurse at all. And I had to nurse him because he was one month old. And so I literally went downstairs and like stood in a hallway where like the eatery area was and just kind of like, I hid myself in the corner, lifted my shirt and like stood there and nursed my son. And it was the worst feeling ever. I felt shame and embarrassment and it was the worst feeling. And now though it's changed. Like I walked through, Mm -hmm. I was just in the Maui airport two months ago and they have these little pods. Pods. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like, where was this? I was like, in my day, they didn't have these things. (laughs) That's how I feel. Just whipped it all out in the open. I I had to pump during, during a licensing test in a break room. They said that they would have a room and they're like, uh, no, ma'am. Like I had to take a break and you could use the break room. Like, all right, well, if you come in there, that's your fault. <laughs> what you see then, I guess. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move into the last part of our show, the life and money show spotlight round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? I think it goes back to what we've been talking about is having hobbies being very clear on what's important to me. In my 30s, I know myself a lot better than I did my 20s and obviously those awkward teenage years. And so I feel more confident in things that I'm doing. And really the point is, like I said, to give my girls the best chance possible. And if I don't model being a being a strong, assertive, financially literate woman, what am I really passing on to them? Yeah. I love that. The having hobbies thing is something that has entered my life. I guess kind of, it keeps coming up and here I am talking to you (laughs) and it's a message that the universe, I guess, is sending to me because like Annie said, this is hobby, but what ends up happening is all we do is work because we love it so much and it's great. But I think Annie will agree with me that it's like that for her too, but it can lead to burnout and has. And so being intentional about finding other things that bring joy even if it's small things. And that's the thing that like I've been struggling with is like, even if it's like a small thing that can bring me joy and then like living in that moment of joy is the hard thing because there's joyous moments all around you, but it's about identifying the joyous moment and then really just like letting yourself go in that moment of joy, even if it's for like 
two seconds with your kids or whatever it may be, a conversation, a smile, a laugh, connecting with somebody, whatever it may be. So I love that. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now? So I'll say this. I'm still cheap AF, okay? (laughs) I don't care how much money I have or whatnot. I'm never going to pay over market price for something. It's not a hack. It's just a value, right? And I think things can be negotiated in terms of goods that you want, or paying for a particular class. I'm not saying like haggle people for like their rates or whatever, but I think it's important to make informed decisions. Like, are you actually getting the value that you're paying for? Because you can pay thousands of dollars for something and it be, I'll just use a material thing so I don't bring people into it, but it could be the worst material. And you just paid overpriced to get something that is really not worth all the time and energy you spent making that money. So I really say make informed choices and education is important. But hey, if you have the extra income to splurge a little bit, hey, do it. I spend all my extra money after investing and paying all my bills on BTS stuff. I mean, it's everywhere. And that's my thing. (laughs) And I can afford that. But because being an army would be in the teenage years, I would not be able to do any of these things or buy any stuffed animals or whatever. That's hilarious. I was literally TikTok dancing on New Year's Eve after a fun night with my relatives to BTS on a huge, like 70 inch screen. And my daughters and I were like, oh, we went to LA. That's a whole nother story in life. But today (laughs) is the drop for tickets in Vegas. And that's my goal today. (laughs) Oh, there you go. There you go. I love it. All right. Well, last question is life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Well, this is where I'll put the plug of the Color Success podcast because I've been able to connect with so many people around the world and to share their story. And even those that think, well, I didn't really struggle with mental health. Well, actually, they've been through a lot in their lives and there's intergenerational trauma or raising themselves essentially at some point or living in a different state that doesn't may not have as many Asian Americans there where they had to really struggle with their identity and intersectionality. So there's all these different stories out there and people are being more open and vulnerable about where they sought help and how. And so again, my goal is just to give back and really let people know that they're not alone. Such important work that you're doing. Amazing, Stephanie. So tell our listeners if they wanted to listen to the podcast or if they wanted to follow up with you, what is the best place that they can go? Yes, the podcast is colorsuccesspodcast.com and it has all the socials and all that stuff. We recently premiered season four with Dr. Tiffany Moon from Bravo Housewives of Dallas, only Chinese American on the show, only doctor. And so I think that having people in the media, and it's not just people on TV, they're doctors, authors, all walks of life, parents, they're all equally important to know that you are not alone. And of course, my website for my practice is drstephaniejwong.com. I emphasize the J because there's a million Stephanie Wongs in the world. I get people's emails all the time at work and things. And I said, I don't have that appointment. (laughs) 
<laughs> so please emphasize the J if you're looking for me in a positive way. And that I'd be really happy to, to connect with people. Well, for all our listeners, we'll have those links for you in the show notes. Stephanie Wong, licensed clinical psychologist and founder and host of the Color of Success podcast. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you both. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.